Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Hi, Cara. Hello, Vanessa. If someone were to go through our texts throughout the day, what percentage of them do you think it would be one of us telling the other one that we needed to go to the bathroom? <laughs> this is how we're starting this podcast. Today. <laughs> That's how we're starting the podcast. Listen, Cara, if we're going to talk about everything, you know, that's part of it. Let's cover that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'd say 50%. You'd say 50. I'd put it at like 37%. But very scientific of you. I know. I like odd numbers, probably because I'm an odd person. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's not what this episode, I feel like my chair is a really weird height. Um, (laughs) Cara's playing with her hair and I'm adjusting my chair and we look bananas. That's not what this episode is about, but it's actually the episode's about kind of a complicated topic. So I think I wanted to have everyone feel relaxed when we was that go. your icebreaker? That was my icebreaker. <laughs> I spent 10 years doing icebreakers with elementary school age girls. I am like the master of icebreakers. I can break like <laughs> you can break anything. a frozen lake in the Arctic. That is my special skill. <laughs> Okay. On that note, random and probably scientifically completely impossible. We got a question from a listener and it had a lot of background in it, but the 
essence of it was that her daughter, who's in middle school, who's an early bloomer, is hanging out with kids older than she is, eighth graders, ninth graders. And the parent is concerned at who the kids are, what her daughter is being exposed to, and the fear and worry about how to help her kid understand her worries and concerns without driving her kid into the arms of these other kids and having no ability to reach her child. And we get a version of this question a lot, right? Yes. We get, it, essentially, the question boils down to, are older influences bad? And if our parental meter is, you know, dinging 10, 10, 10, when we feel they are bad, what to do? What to do? So... I want to start with what we know about kids this age in general, right? We're going to do a kind of a recap on some things that we talk about a lot in a lot of different episodes. And that is about where a seventh grader could possibly be physically, developmentally, socially, in terms of their decision making, right? We want to paint a picture because seventh graders are not a monolith. Kids of all genders do not stick to one particular stereotype or pathway for boys or girls or non-binary or transgender, right? No kids of any group could be considered a monolith. They are individuals who start puberty at different times and end puberty in different times, live in different homes, have different learning styles, have different lived experiences, have different environmental influences, Everything. have different resources. And these issues come up at all ages, right? There's always a group ahead of you. There's always the, the aspirational, you know, I always laugh that you never remember the people who are a year or two behind you, or you might, but they, it takes like, you really got to rack your brain. The people who are a couple of years ahead of you, oh my gosh, 100%, you know exactly who they are, what their middle name is, what their favorite ice cream flavor is. Like there is a real vested interest in aspiring up. I mean, I'll tell you a perfect example. We were on vacation when my oldest was like, I don't know, five years old. And the sort of resort where we were had a little kids club and there was some, I don't know, video game, Xbox or Nintendo or whatever. And our kid who had never encountered any technology like that, would spend his time in the kids club. He would have like an hour in the kids club, not playing anything, but watching older kids play on this gaming device. And he was enthralled and fascinated and didn't actually partake because that felt too overwhelming and, you know, scary, but he did watch and I'm sure learn to some extent. So it's There's a not whole just... industry that was <laughs> that, that came from that, right? Yeah. Right. So it's not just kids in puberty. It's not just teenagers. It's kids of all age. And frankly, it's adults. I mean, still, when I see people I went to camp with who were older than I was or high school with who were older than I was, who I, you know, loved and idolized, I still have that feeling of awe and excitement for getting to see people who I, I looked up to, to it and admired. So I've told you this story about my carpool mate, Monica Lewinsky, right? Uh, I'm not sure you've told our listeners 
that story. Oh, yes. I mean, I'm getting to the punchline quickly there. But <laughs> when I was growing up, I went to grammar school at the same school that Monica Lewinsky went to. And she was in my carpool. And she was a couple of years younger than me. And so like, she was in my carpool. And I still had my head so in that space that it didn't really register. You know, little Monica was in my carpool. But I really remembered the older kids who were in my carpool. And flash forward when everything was happening for Monica Lewinsky with Bill Clinton, and she became this very, very famous person in the spotlight. And, you know, and we can talk about her journey on a different episode, but what she has done with that, wow, she's incredible. But my mom called me and said, do you remember Monica was in your carpool? And I said, I have no recollection. And then I went to a book signing that she did years later. And there was this huge queue to get a signature. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to wait in the line. And I kind of walked past, like I was just going to skip and just go to the bookstore and find another book. And she hollered my name and she was like, Cara, because she was the younger kid in the carpool. Mm-hmm. So, right. This phenomenon is, you know, it's just nothing new. It's nothing new. And all of this is to say, we don't want to paint the role that older kids can play in younger kids' lives as wholly bad or wholly great. Holy as in W-H-O-L-L-Y, not H-O-L-E-Y. Because or H-O-L-Y. <laughs> or H-O, right. <laughs> Welcome to the Homophone podcast. <laughs> Like everything else we talk about, there are good sides and complicated and challenging sides. And we could do a whole other episode on all of the ways that older kids can have amazing influence and impact on younger kids, siblings, cousins, counselors, team captains, you know, any of those things. So we want to acknowledge so let's not, that. We're not discrediting that. Let's be we're very, We're not very, discrediting very that. Yeah. We are responding to a really specific question and a worried parent. So there's a few important details in the listener question. One is that her child is an early bloomer. And all of the research tells us, and this is in our book, that there is a correlation between early blooming girls and higher rates of early drug use, early sexual activity, and early other forms of risk-taking behavior, and higher rates of depression, anxiety, and lower self-esteem. So that is frightening to the caregivers of early blooming girls. What is important to point out is that this is not a cause and effect right? Being an early blooming girl causes one to have all of those things. We don't know the answer to that. We do know that the data tells us there's correlation there. Yeah. I mean, I think most people who do research in the field would say it is not that going through puberty earlier causes you to have a deeper desire to take risks. Those two things are not tethered together. I think most people would say going through puberty earlier causes older kids, and this is exactly to your point, I'm going to steal your thunder a little bit here. It causes older kids to pay attention to you and to bring you into the fold in their peer group in a way that they might not if you presented younger. And because we are talking about older kids being tweens and teens whose 
decision-making is more in the moment and less consequential, who are, you know, risk reward is the main equation in their brain and risk and reward win out over caution and safety in many of their brains. So because that's the paradigm as kids get through middle and high school, if you look older and you're welcomed into this group, but your brain's even less mature, even less capable of balancing out decision-making, then you are at risk. And as we talked about with Molly Colvin in an incredible conversation about what dopamine does in the brain and what these neural circuits mean, you can imagine you got a really young but early blooming child who is brought into the fold with these older, more sophisticated kids. And the first thing that happens is they get a dopamine hit in their brain, right? The neurotransmitters start firing. It feels really good to be included. It's really cool to be wanted. And so begins the positive feedback loop. So just to state it another way, earlier... (laughs) A clearer way. No, 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 no. Because we're going to hit all the points that you just made, but just in a really simple way, kids who look older get treated as older. And they get treated as older by adults, yes, but they also get treated as older by their peers or kids a few years ahead of them. And when you are a tween or teen, being treated older means being exposed to vaping, to alcohol, to drugs, to sexual activity. No, it doesn't doesn't have to. But I'm saying when I say being treated older, it doesn't mean... Hey, do you want to play Scrabble with me? I hear you have a really I mean, great in my vocabulary. House, in, my... <laughs> yeah. in no one else's house but Cara's house, it's, hey, do you want to play Scrabble with me? It doesn't mean, hi, you know, you look like you're really into poetry because you're so sophisticated <laughs> looking. Would you like to join my poetry club? I mean, again, it could, but Vanessa, most I would. It <laughs> the dopamine is firing big time right now. No, Cara, I'm kidding. For, I do for, not want to be in your for poetry the four club. people who, um, <laughs> yes, for the four people in Car's life who are also poetry aficionados. <laughs> but my point not. is, <laughs> when we talk about being treated older, what we mean is not the upside of being treated older, but the That's concerning right. exposure to. To risk behaviors. To risk risk behaviors. behaviors. And I I want us to talk a little bit about why it's not just risk behaviors, you know, on a Saturday night in a field out back behind the town dump where someone (laughs) got a keg. You're painting quite the scene there. You might know that that someone on this podcast might have been behind the town dump. Someone holding, you know, perhaps a Bartles and James wine cooler, for instance, or a Boone's. That was the other one. Car's like, I don't know what you're talking about because I did not try alcohol until I was like (laughs) 21 years old and an hour. But the... I'm sorry. I have to adjust the halo over my head. Hang on. (laughs) I know. Would you like your president? Would you like your presidential medal of freedom now? Vanessa, I was neither that boring nor that good. But (laughs) let's just. I'm just going to play the role for this podcast. Yeah, I mean, so that's what we're talking about, and that's what this parent is talking about because she's like. I know what these kids are up to, or she thinks she knows what these kids are up to. And again, we've talked in the past about 
not making assumptions. Okay, but that's it. Like we get so in our heads because you are immediately going to Bartles and James behind the dumpster. Dumpster? Is it a dumpster? Who else is with me? It wasn't always a dumpster. It was sometimes in the woods. <laughs> so always somewhere slightly <laughs> sketchy, like somewhere out of a horror yes, movie. Yes, it's not but, like you're like in the middle of the town square. Because like, that's where you play Scrabble. But no, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. So there's real risk-taking that's happening. Plus, it's the adult imagination that's imposing a bunch of memories. And the memories, of course, that we retain are the memories from the high highs and the low lows. That's really what our brain locks into and holds on to much more often than the mundane moments, although we have some mundane moments filed away in there. So there's that. Then there's the Surgeon General's warning that came out this week, right? Which looked at what are the safety issues around social media? And we do need to layer that on not to overly demonize social media. And we will do an entire podcast about the warning that was issued because it's very important to understand what was said and what the data is. But I think to not bring up the fact that today, the behind the dumpster is 24-7. There is an environment in which older influences can and do exist for kids that is in the palm of their hand. And so, you know, precisely what you're describing from back in 1942 is, you know, it took her a minute. I was like, wait, what? I wasn't. (laughs) During prohibition, when you were behind the dumpster. Um, In my corset and bustle. (laughs) Yes. But, you know, of course we have to layer on that piece as well. So there are all these sort of pieces that provoke anxiety among parents, rightfully so, but more importantly, provoke anxiety without really being able to identify it among those younger kids who are being prompted to hang with the older kids. And it seems really cool, but inside, I believe their adrenal glands are firing cortisol like crazy going, danger, danger, danger. And their brain is just responding a little differently. Do you or someone you love have smelly feet? Well, this is for you. We made magical socks. We did. The magic is zinc. With zinc around, bacteria cannot grow. And if bacteria cannot grow, well, then there are no bacteria to eat the sweat. And if there's no bacteria to eat the sweat, then there's no off-gassing. And if there's no off-gassing, then there's no smell. That's how socks work. Check out the link in our show notes or go to myoomla.com. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky. And I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. (laughs) And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. 
It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors Ready to Eat Meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. So there's the online version, which has its own. And and again, we're not going to do that today. That has its own worries, risks, and dangers. What I want to focus on today is actually, it's actually really related to Molly's episode about dopamine. and addiction. And it has to do with why experts really warn against younger kids, right? Tweens and teens being exposed to different addictive substances and what happens in the brain 
at those younger ages, right? The sort of 12 to 16 year olds, and you would probably argue even older than that. Why is exposure to vaping or weed or alcohol, which is what we're all imagining these older kids are doing, why is that more dangerous to younger kids with respect to their brain development and risk for addiction? Right. And let's call a spade a spade. When we're talking about these risk behaviors, we are thinking about substances. We are also thinking about high-risk behaviors, exposure to gambling, exposure to shoplifting, right? right? These behaviors that are going to land you in a whole world of trouble and fire the same neurochemical in the same pattern in your brain. And so as Molly described, as many neuroscientists describe in different ways, the brain is maturing in two different ways, right? It's a a soft piece of clay that's getting molded. The neurons are shrinking. They're actually, neurons are dying on a daily basis as part of a pruning process to hone your expertise. So they're dying in a health, it's in a good way. And yes. yes. So yes. the dying part in this case is not something it's, to be worried about. Yes, it about. is not the Nancy Reagan, you know, your brain on drugs in a fried egg. It, it is the process by which your brain hones its expertise. But if you hone your expertise in the direction of risk-taking, and those are the neural pathways that are firing and wiring together, and they are entrenching themselves in this really deep circuit of, hey, I really like how this feels in my brain, so I'm going to do it again. Oh, I feel it again. I'm going to do it again, right? And that's what Molly describes as sort of this pathway making. When the brain does that, and it's a very moldable piece of clay in the tween and teen years, that's what settles out as the dominant path, unless you build another dominant path. I mean, it's why there's a redemption story, right? You can turn your life around. You, the brain is plastic. You can figure out a different path, but it's hard. It's hard. And in the tween and teen years, the brain is incredibly, we call plastic. It's very adaptable. It can shift and change very easily. So this is to say that a younger kid who starts exposing their brain to a behavior or a substance that makes them enter one of these loops, whether it's nicotine or, you know, pick your thing, gambling, that kid has a higher likelihood, frankly, of stopping the behavior and rewiring their brain than the same adult brain exposed to similar substances. In some ways, once the path is entrenched in an adult brain, which is less plastic, the less capable the adult is of overcoming it. Now, the less vulnerable the adult is to the behavior in the first place, because the adult has a mature prefrontal cortex. The adult can weigh the risks against the benefits and the kid can't. So it is why we should give our kids permission to screw up. But it is also why we got this question because the parents rightfully worried. So we know, I mean, all the data tells us that the earlier kids are exposed to addictive substances, the more likely they are to become addicted as teenagers and adults. There's all sorts of evidence. I mean, Jessica Leahy's book is amazing, The Addiction and Inoc right. Inoculation, that tells us that. So when Cara talks on basically every other episode about delay, 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 that is why delay, delay, delay. The earlier the exposure, right. the more likely there is for an addiction to develop. And... We will have somebody on to talk about that because that's 
you've worked in this area as a resident, as a trainee? Between college and medical school. I worked okay. in inpatient addiction treatment for teenagers, actually. I have addiction in my family and it started early with sort of self-medicating behaviors in one of my extended family and it evolved into other things. And it's in some ways, and we can talk about, Cara, how a parent handles this. Yeah, because can I jump in and say, who among us doesn't have someone in our family who has faced a challenge with addiction? Dopamine is an unbelievably powerful neurochemical. It makes our brain feel so good. I challenge you to find someone who doesn't have some struggle. I would also say that is a silver lining because you can, as the adult, point to the person who is struggling and with no judgment, no shame, but a lot of candor, you can talk to the child in your life about your worries about them vis-a-vis this person. The conversation, I'm going to I'm going to play Vanessa on the podcast now. The conversation does not sound like this. <laughs> you do not say I think you're going to turn into Uncle Joe because that's not effective. Even if you're worried they're going to turn into Uncle Joe, it's not effective. But the conversation can sound like it's really hard to watch Uncle Joe struggle. And I'm wondering if you understand what he's dealing with and we can talk about it. But I also wonder if you understand what I worry about as a parent and what I'm trying to save you from. And it's not that I think you're going to turn into Uncle Joe. I think that Uncle Joe's human. And there are a lot of things that can lead a person down the path that he's landed on. And I'm hoping to empower you not to walk down that path. Yeah. I mean, pointing to a real living human being who they know is much more powerful for kids than citing data or statistics or research. So that's number one, telling them they are going to end up like someone who is living a very sad and difficult life is not going to imbue them with confidence and optimism about handling this. So we have to hold both those things. We have to use someone in an instructive way and also not make our kid feel like we have low expectations of how they're going to turn out. So Vanessa, do you think that kids should be discouraged from hanging out with older kids? I think that it's a time for adults to get curious. I think it's a time for adults to say, I notice you hanging out with these kids. You're not really hanging out with your friends from sixth grade so much anymore. Tell me a little bit about what you like about those kids. What's fun? What kind of stuff do you guys do? So instead of saying, I know those kids, those kids are bad news. I don't know what you see in them, but you must stop hanging out with them, right? Which is the inner monologue. We always talk about the inner monologue. That's going to get you nowhere fast. That's going to get your kid running into the arms of all of those kids that you just said, I know those are bad kids and I don't know what you see with them and I don't want you hanging out with them. Okay, but what happens when you get curious? And I'm asking this honestly because I have made this mistake a thousand times. What happens when you get curious and your kid can completely see through it and they they know what the ulterior motive is that you just don't trust the situation? So... They might tell you, I know you're just asking me, even though you're going to judge them. And you can say, 
in order for me to feel better about you hanging out with kids I don't really know or who I've heard not such great things about, I want to hear your version of the story. I want to hear your perspective because I would imagine there's things about them that are really awesome and I just don't know what they are and I want to hear from you what those things are. This is a whole side episode that we're not going to get into, but I have found in my N of two, that's a scientific way of saying I have two subjects (laughs) in my study. That would be my two kids. Um, That's Car's (laughs) super dorky way of saying that she has two kids, my N of two. In my N of two, I have found that there are times that we overcompensate in one direction and we love a kid or express such affection for a friend of theirs that when that friend turns out to be not the greatest thing since sliced bread, our kid won't share that with us because we have held this child on a pedestal, right? And the opposite is also true. There are kids who you'll demonize unfairly as the parent and sort of mark with a bad influence kid. And that just shuts down the child in our house and they won't share with us when they do connect with that kid. So when you describe, Vanessa, how you get curious and how you open these conversations, I think it really makes a big difference to walk the line between overly enthusiastic and flat out negative. If you don't hold yourself net neutral about a kid, you will find over time that it shuts down the conversation, even if it doesn't shut down the conversation in the moment, even if it's a strategy you think is a winning strategy right now, it ultimately doesn't really work that well. And having done this job of parenting for 20 years now, 20 and a half years, I should say, (laughs) I will say that one of the biggest learnings that I have had is kids' capacity for change. Mm. And sometimes their capacity for change is toward the better. And they are kids who were in chaotic, difficult households, who were acting out, who once things settled out in their family situation, turned into really awesome, kind, constructive kids. And I've seen the opposite. I've seen kids who seem like little angels who turned out to be, you know, really unkind and destructive forces in my kids' lives. So I think we always think about adults' capacity for change and hope for people to improve. And I think more than anyone else in the world, kids deserve the benefit of the doubt. Having said that, if you know that your kid is hanging out with a group of kids who you have seen with your own eyes vaping, you know, in a back alleyway. Behind the dumpster. Behind the dumpster (laughs) with me, not. That's really important information. And you know that information. And you don't have to BS your kid and quote unquote, get curious. That's right. Or wonder or use your, you know, empathic language, you can say, hey, I know that these kids are up to stuff that's really not healthy because I have seen it with my own eyes. And I am worried about what you're being exposed to and your safety when you are hanging out with them. And sometimes the answer you'll get is they're not that way with me. And that can be true, but that can also be a defense mechanism. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Two different ways of saying the same thing. Yes. Yes. I will land this conversation in a place that 
you're not expecting me to go, Vanessa, which is... I know, and I'm not sure I'm ready for you to land it. So let's see where you land it, and then we might land it twice. <laughs> Here, here's where I'm going to land it. I'd like to know where you're going to land it. There comes a point when kids get old enough that having older influences around becomes critical. It flips. Something flips. It's not so much the age of the influence. And I don't think we're saying that the age of the influence is the the dictator of who our kids should hang out with. What we're saying is when they're bad older influences and you've got a younger impressionable kid, right, you need to have the conversation, you need to call it. But there is an age at which, especially if you have older kids in the grade, so kids who have the first birthdays, and they're getting up into the higher grades and suddenly they're in their senior year of high school. They're the oldest of the old, right? And there's a point at which the equation flips and what you begin to realize is, oh, what they're missing is an older influence, right? Sometimes the older sibling will leave for college or will go off to work or whatnot. And, oh, that older influence is gone. And there's a hole in their life. And again, we're talking here not about age, but about quality of influence. And so it's not really an apples to apples comparison. But this is all to say that once you've nailed this with your middle schooler or young teenager, everything will change again. And you'll have to rethink the whole thing. And you'll probably land somewhere different because just as they change when they grow, so too do the driving circumstances around them. And each of us has hit it with our kids where no longer are we worried about the older influences. We are hungry for them for our kids. So that's where I would land. So I want to go back to the listener question and just give some actually really specific guidance about how to handle her perspective. We've talked about getting curious. We've talked about being really forthright when there are things going on that we're concerned about. But we all know, and we've talked about this on other episodes, that sometimes when we forbid our kids from hanging out with certain kids or we demonize certain kids or certain romantic interests, it's only going to drive our kids closer to those forces as opposed to persuading them to move away from those people. And so you talked about being net neutral. And I think there are ways to not forbid your kid from hanging out with these kids, but create certain parameters and rules that allow a little more boundary and a little more supervision when your kid is hanging out with them. So it might sound something like, you know, I'm sorry you can't go out with them at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, but I'm very happy for you to have people over here to hang out at our house. I'll get you guys pizza. You know, you can be here if you want, or if you want to see them tomorrow afternoon when your homework is done, that is fine. But creating some set of expectations that it doesn't create a forbidden fruit, but it also says like, hey, I'm the adult here and I'm going to set up some parameters for how and when it's safe for you to be with these kids. I think that's right. I think that's right. And to say to them, let me tell you a little bit about what my fear is. It may or may not be accurate, but sometimes I'm going to react in a way that seems over the top to you. And I just want you to know what's going on for me. And this is a chance just to say, 
my job is to keep you healthy and safe. And I worry about your health and safety in certain circumstances. And sometimes it's going to be up to me to set some boundaries. And you may not like all of those boundaries. And I understand that. But I'm not here to be your friend right now. I'm here to be your parent. And it's my job to set up those things. So I think there are ways to acknowledge what your kid is feeling without giving in to your kid's reaction or feelings about what you're doing. And remember, they need you to be that person who is honest and sets limits because if you turn out to be right and they're hanging out with influences that are not okay and they have the perspective and the wherewithal to see it and to do something about it, then they need you to be the person they can throw under the bus. They need you to be the bad guy. I'm my mom. She's the worst. She says I can't go out tonight. And don't ever forget to remind them that they can happily throw you under the bus. You do not need the 14-year-olds to love you. You do not need the cool kids behind the dumpster to love you. In fact, you don't really care what they think of you at all. And just remind your kid, right? As Carr said, they can always throw you under the bus. And if you keep lines of communication open, if you don't just flat out forbid something, but are in dialogue with your kid, then if something happens, if they are touched in a way they don't want to be touched, if they are offered to smoke something they smoked or didn't smoke, but found frightening, if they are offered a drink of something and then they ended up feeling really crummy, they know they can come back and talk to you about it. But if you give them a flat out forbid and all they feel like is they can circumvent your rules, then you've lost the opportunity to be in conversation with them. And they are going to need us. If they need us in middle school, boy, do they need us in high school and boy, do they need us in college. And so allowing that channel of communication to stay open is really important. So To the listener who sent in this question, we feel you. We totally get it. We hope this is helpful. If other people have had other successful strategies in dealing with this, please let us know because this is more of an art than a science and it takes some experimentation and trial and error. And we'd love to hear if there were other pathways that were successful. Thanks as always, Vanessa. Thanks, Cara. I'm going to go pee now. You're going to go behind the dumpster. No, those days are over. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast, and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com. Yet. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. 
Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.